All right. That doesn't happen until age 12. To age 12. No, Sophia's like about ready to start changing Zoe's diapers, I think. So. Praise God. May it be your will, Adonai, our God, that a mishap not come about through us. And may we not stumble in a matter of law and, our, and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us. And may we not say regarding something which is to may that it is to whore, and not regarding something which is to whore that it is to may. And may my colleagues not stumble in a matter of Torah, and we rejoice over them. For Adonai grants wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil our eyes that we may perceive wonders from your Torah, especially Zechariah. Amen. Amen. Okay. So we're going to pour some wine during class, but not until Gregory gets here. And if you'll take care of that when that happens, that would be lovely. I'll do it right now. Yeah. Wait. Okay. All right. The second oracle. The second oracle. Um, so let's see. Let's do a let's do a quick review. Chapter 9, chapters 9 through 12. 11. Right? 11, 9 through, 9 through 11. 11, 11 through 12, right, 9 through 11. Um, <clears throat> doing this quick review. 9 through 11. Okay, so. We talked quickly about Tyre and saw that that was a historical reference that probably happened ultimately through Alexander's hands just before the Hasmonean era and their revolt and so forth. And uh, we, uh, we saw a reference to Matthew 21 in Zechariah 9 uh, with regard to the uh, king coming humble and mounted on a donkey and uh, both Isaiah 42 and Sanhedrin 98a both said this was about Messiah King Messiah so that was pretty cool Um, Radak seemed to be the uh, queen bee on the commentaries uh, last week uh, he, I seem to be lining up with where I was coming from every time. Uh, we thought we saw perhaps a reference to First Thessalonians four and the shofar blow uh, there. Excuse me one second, as my wife instructs me. Um, we saw references to Messiah being somewhat equivalent to God, mm-hmm. which was. Sort of surprising. On that day, the Lord their God will save them. And yet we've been talking about Messiah, the King. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. And yet the one whistling appears to be King Messiah. Uh, We saw the whole thing in Zechariah 10 about the cornerstone, the tent peg, and the battle bow. And those come from uh, King Messiah. And then uh, Zechariah 10.6, strengthening the house of Judah. I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Uh, we saw references to Matthew 9, uh, afflicting the shepherd. What is that, striking the shepherd and the 
scattered. What was the reference something. of the, the um, he had uh, pity on them for they were sheep with no shepherd. That's right, that's right, sheep with no shepherd. Uh, again, Messianic times, according to Radak in 10.6. Uh, um, I have redeemed them, Zechariah 10.8, is in past tense, which leads to leads us to believe that something has already happened um, in this future time. He has already redeemed them. This would be consistent again with our theology. Um, And then in Zechariah 11, uh, become shepherd of the flock. I became the shepherd of the flock, and he's fighting against the sheep traders. Um, we talked about the three shepherds and kind of arguing over who those might be, the two sticks and so forth. And uh, I think uh, I think Joshua brought up Matthew 26 and 27 for that whole Zechariah 7 through 12, 11, 7 through 12 thing. Um, With the, uh, the, the Judas, the 30 shekels. And the shekels of silver, yeah. For the and potter's field. Exactly. So, uh, all in all. Uh, really, it seems like most of this particular vision of Zechariah, with some exceptions, seems to have um, a lot of fulfillment focus, so to speak, right around that last third of this wall and the beginning of the next one. So exactly. basically kind of stretching from the, well, a little after he dies up until the, the, the second temple is destroyed. Kind yeah. of that. And, and, but there seemed to be even a gap there during the Zugot. I don't, I don't see a whole lot happening there. Um, in three, 300 something uh, is where uh, Alexander jumps in. Mm -hmm. So I think Everything I saw was, as you said, Alexander, and then around the corner. Mm -hmm. um, so we end up with uh, with this really spectacular time there. There he is. Hey. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you too. Good to see you. Good to see you too. We decided that we're going to have a glass of wine with you during class. Oh. Because okay. you probably can't stay after class and you want to get back to the bride, and that's fine. So take a moment, compose yourself, relax. We're just reviewing last week's class, and then we'll get into this week's. Okay. So you can relax. Please pour for our guests. Of course. So, yeah. You've got, you want a tea? He's got to see. That's right. Just hold one. So I can have two? You can have two. <laughs> yes, or double dip. Yeah, double dip. So uh, what we just said was that... Uh, Pretty much everything that we read in the first oracle, that would be 9 through 11 of Zechariah, appears to be from the time of Alexander the Great, about 300 of the common, uh, before the Common Era, all the way around the corner to 70 of the Common Era when the temple is destroyed. And that's what was being looked at. Now, those are light. What's up with that, man? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. He's used to being in a family of like 19 people. So yeah, you got to spread that bottle, spread across that the bottle around. Yeah, because we let Jack drink wine. Yeah. We don't. All hell breaks loose. Although you got to watch, that, you gotta that watch out for <laughs> No, actually, I keep offering him and he keeps refusing. Oh, thank oh, you, sir. Gabby will occasionally try wine, but only if it's like sweet. Yeah. yeah she, she just, she's not into the red thing right now. And I'm. 
Well, completely okay most, with that. Most, most small children don't like things that are bitter or sour. This so. is true. I wonder, Gregory, if you would uh, bless God for uh, for the opportunity. I would, yes. I get to say that. <clears throat> Alright, so I was shocked, and if you if you uh, were listening with us by the way, a mazel tov hello to uh, David McDonald and Mark Pittock behind us. And uh, Anybody else who might be listening in. But last week was just really special. And I was shocked at how much we saw that was so obviously an allusion to Messiah Yeshua. Um, and, you know, again, again, I just lament not having done this, I don't know, six months ago. And, uh, and, and look forward to an opportunity for conversation and debate uh, with maybe three guys I can think of off the top of my head so um, we'll, we'll uh, hopefully get to that so this was different uh, chapters 12 to 14 the end of the book uh, the second and last oracle um, wild and crazy stuff yeah it's and funny because he if you if the first the last three chapters were um Pretty gloomy, I would say. The first oracle from chapters nine through eleven. Um, there's some good stuff in it. There's a lot of stuff. This isn't going so well. I'm going to wipe these people out. These people are going to die. I'm going to break these staffs. I mean, it's it's pretty rough on the people of Israel. Yeah. Um, for those chapters, this one starts off great. God's going to wipe out their enemies. He's going to support them, defend them, and then chapter fourteen kicks off. It's like and boom! All hell breaks loose. Yeah. And you're like, wait a second. Wait, wait, was this before? Was this after? Wait. <laughs> and then everything's okay again. Yeah. And it's kind of like this, uh, it's almost like, well, I mean, I would say that we probably learned it from God, but um, in any good book or movie, there's always a climax. And the climax is almost always the most intense point for the hero. So it's like, up until that point, there may have been like mini climaxes, like mini confrontations and whatever else to kind of keep the story moving. Right. But usually they pale in comparison to the end. And you would think that by the time the end comes around, that the hero would have been so prepared that it would be a piece of cake. But it's not. Usually it's the worst at the end, and then it's finished off, if it's a good story, with the, with the best victory by overcoming the worst. Right. Which is exactly what we seem to have here, where, um, well, we'll get into it later. But the, anyway, I just thought that was interesting how... The yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, it's an interesting literary almost feel to this. A literary device that seemed to be, but it's real to me, difficult. Mm-hmm. I, I wondered because we don't have insight into how or, or what the timeline was of when Zachariah actually put this on paper. Well, we have a pretty good idea. Okay, we've got two, the last two prophets together. Because remember, what we're looking at there are the the major prophets tied with a pair or uh, or three of, of the minor prophets, right? So we've got these minor prophets going across and we've got the bigger ones up at the top, right? So we know that Zechariah is after they came back. Right. Well, I mean, like, he didn't sit down. He, I don't know. Maybe he did. Did he sit down and write all this at once? Or did he... Well, the first part of the book, we know he got all those 
visions in one night. Right. It says. So I guess. So this part. Right. Don't the, know. But an or, when an oracle comes, it's we talked about that in the first class, the intro, uh -huh. while you were gone. It's a, it's a burden. Right. And he's he's got this weight on him that he has to give. He has to get rid of it. He has to part. You know, share it with someone. So, if that if he got two oracles, we don't know how much time went between them. But when he got them, he probably shared them with someone right away. Yeah, I guess what I, I was I was thinking was, you know, the transition is so abrupt. Maybe he had those for those like chapters twelve and thirteen, like it was one block, and then all of a sudden he gets another vision, and it was that. Was like, oh. Could be, could be, but the way the the text is written, we've got these eight deals, then the four deals, then these two deals, and it's just separate, but. Whatever the reason is for the apparent break or whatnot, um, let's walk through the text a little bit and see if we can. Um, so, first thing that I, one of the things that um, I've always loved about studying um, the prophets is that I've not always loved, rather, I've kind of I've come to love thinking about it more. Um, there's a lot of debate in mostly secular circles, sometimes Jewish ones, mostly secular about is this referring to Israel, is this referring to Messiah? Right. Usually, if the Christians say it's referring to Messiah, it's only referring to Israel. And if the, uh, and, and if the Christians say it refers to Israel, uh, they usually mean it refers to the church. So the point is that um, <laughs> basically there's this odd, kind of, it's, it's uncomfortable, a discussion, most of the time. But, no matter who you're talking to. No matter who you're talking to. But if you get past the debate with most, uh, most in Judaism, they tend to see it as sort of both. I mean, right. I feel like that comes up a lot, and, and we see and we see that in the commentators. We see that in the commentators, um, and then uh, this particular one reminds me of that because if you read uh, verse three of chapter twelve, um, it says, "It shall be on that day that I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all the peoples, all whose bearers become lacerated, and all the nations of the world will gather against it." It reminds me um, in the beginning of, of um, well, Yeshua quotes this one. I think Paul does too in Romans, the idea that um, Messiah is a stumbling block. Right. But Yeshua has this odd, like, dual reference to it. He's like, all who um, trip on it will be shattered, but all upon whom it falls will be ground to dust. Right. And it's this very odd, like, neither of them sound pleasant. It's bad and really, really <laughs> bad. <laughs> and, um, and it's interesting because this reminds me of that, where Jerusalem is the burdensome stone. Jerusalem is almost like the, the stumbling block, if right, you will, right. for the nations. Yep. Whereas before, Messiah, um, for, for tragic reasons, became a stumbling block for his own people because they didn't understand who he was. Right. Now, things have turned. And it is God's people are now the stumbling block to the, to the pagan nations around them. Exactly. And so seeing that, that unity, that harmony between Messiah and his people, I think is really cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. If we skip down... Um, through that same paragraph you're in, um, the sages tend to say, especially Rashi, um, that the clans of Judah are kind of faked out here and forced to come against Jerusalem with the Gentile nations. That seemed to be a consistent theme uh, that he was going through. Um, regardless, um, the Lord, verse 7, will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. 
So Judah's getting this like top shelf award. Thanks for being one of my children. Go team. Um, on that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. So we've got this light to heavy. Light to heavy, right? So we just got you know more and more and more here going. They're like on. David, and the house of David is like God. God and God, I mean, you know. Yeah. What I thought was interesting on that reference is yeah. when you're talking about the Messiah divinity references that we saw in the last, last one. Yeah. This is another one. Um, it specifically says because in, in the English in the, my art scroll it translates um, the, this passage as they will be like divine beings, but. Um, it's literally Elohim. Who would be like divine beings? Uh, that's chapter, uh, verse 8. The house of David will be like divine beings. Oh, like divine beings. Um, it's Elohim, which is like gods, right, like plural. God. But it also, of course, we know that God, for reasons somewhat unknown to us, he refers to himself in the plural all the time. So Elohim is referenced to God in general, right. um, as, uh, uh, as well as to plural. Uh, so then immediately, though, oddly enough, the next reference seems like a downgrade. It will be like God, like the angel of the Lord. Not, not if you think about the angel of the Lord. That's what I'm saying. Is as a like, reference. Because normally when you think about the angel of the Lord, I feel like... Not, a, not an angel of the Lord, but the, the angel, angel of the Lord. You think about it in the sense of it like the angel, the angel of the Lord is um, strictly a representative of God. But um, there are definitely some passages where the angel of the Lord seems very much to be like... Messiah. Receiving worship. Yeah, a lot of interesting yeah. things happen. Yeah. And so in this passage, it it seems to equate them. Yeah. Where it's like, because it uses the same language, like God, or like gods, and like the angel of the Lord, um, it doesn't, it does, it, it's not in reverse. It would have made more sense if it said, like the angel of the Lord, like God, you know, like we're emphasizing. But instead, it almost like, you, you go up, and then you come down again. So that doesn't make it... It's almost... Unless, really, unless you're wrong about the the understanding of the text. Right. Right. So you, you'd still be going up. Either going up, or, or, or you're, you're staying on the same plane. You're equating it. Good. Which I think is really, really interesting, because as you uh, 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 we've, we've had conversations with um, some people we really respect who have sat in this seat that I'm sitting on um, that disagree with us on this point. Um, there's a lot of scripture in the Tanakh that makes it very confusing about Messiah being divine. Right. And, but at the same time, I think that there's also a lot of evidence, and why I believe it's true, in the Tanakh as to why he is divine. Uh, and, and last week, I think, was a perfect, mm-hmm. right? We, we saw over and over again how the king, King Messiah, and God were almost equated with one another as far as what they were doing and, and who they were representing. Excellent. Excellent. And divine usually makes sense because if he came before all of creation... That has to mean that he wasn't created in, in a sense, or, right. or that he was the first of all of creation. You know, I mean, just like just accepting exactly, just accepting for the fact that it was the spirit of Messiah that was hovering over the waters in the beginning. Right, right. That it was the spirit of Messiah that actually was was existing right. before everything else. You, you, that that automatically assumes some level of divinity. Or, and, and, and or, 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 sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, if, if we look at the creation account. It describes everything that he created. Right. right. I don't see that he created the Messiah anywhere there. Well, and interestingly enough, in that particular reference, I think there, we see in John chapter 1, but I think also the sages kind of toy with this a little bit too. 
the idea that Messiah is like the agent of creation. Right. Like not just that he is the preeminent one of creation, but God uses him to create the universe. Yeah. Which is yeah. exactly what Colossians says. Right. And so you think yeah. about, I think that, that's why, I mean, it's, I, I mean when you start, um, the Jewish sages, or the Jewish religious are very smart. They don't let most people read these things unless you get really into their stuff. Right. But you start to really read more mystical Judaism, stuff from the Kabbalah, stuff from um, Zohar. Uh, Zohar, stuff from uh, Hasidic stuff. Um, the line between Messiah and God is fuzzy. They still would argue he's not divine, but it's it's almost it's not quite semantics, but it's almost. And so, because and that's why I think when we look at the scriptures like this passage, we're looking at it, and we're going, I this is saying this, you know, and they, and I understand their argument against that, but at the same time, it's like, but the plain reading of the text is this, which should never be overturned. Right. I'm with it. Okay, so I've I've got a theory, and I'm gonna I'm gonna lay it on you here. So let me tee this up, and then you tell me what you think. So we'll read Zechariah twelve ten together, and I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him, as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Now, is there, is there anybody in the visible representation of the church, is there anyone who's ever studied any kind of prophecy that does not recognize that verse, Zechariah 12.10, as being a reference to Yeshua HaTzadik returning to his people in the clouds in the same way in which he left and displaying himself to his people and this happens. We all are familiar with this reference. I would say if you ask any concert B-flat Christian about any prophecy of the coming of Messiah, this one or some bumbling of it that they do, this would be it. They'll look on him who they pierced. They'll mourn for him. He's like a firstborn. You know, they, they, they pull out little pieces parts. I don't think we need to waste any time on this other than I do think at least the way the English is translated, I'm, I'm tr trying to trust in the English standard as being fairly fairly uh, good to the Hebrew uh, but there does appear to be they're going to look on him and that's equated with the one who they pierced past tense and they're going to mourn for the one that they're looking at as one mourns for an only child or firstborn yeah, I think that I think it's definitely one way to read it because um, the, my art scroll translates it. They will look toward me because of those whom they have pierced. Um, the Hebrew is um, I, I, this is an unusual phrase for looking towards. I don't really recognize this one. Habaito alai, but alai is towards me, and then et asher dakru. So it's the the et asher is. Um, 
can literally be, I think a share is one of those words that can mean a lot of different things. Right. Um, but in, in this case, one way to translate it is, like your text is translating it, they will look towards me that they have pierced because the, the et there is usually a direct object indicator. So it's saying that the it's receiving the action. Right. So in this case, um, it would seem to me that it's a very legitimate way to look at it that the person they're looking at, which in this case is a capital M in my art scroll, and we know who this is talking about, um, is also the one that they pierced. Right. But they're looking at me present tense and pierced me mm -hmm. past tense. Mm -hmm. So I think it's pretty cool. Anyway, that's not what I want to talk about because that should be a slam dunk. But I just, real quick, there's one more thing on that. Real quick, yeah, come amazing. on quick. I know, I know. But here's the great part. Um, that reference to the one whom they pierced? Yeah. Do you know who had, well, we like this guy. Um, well, uh, uh, the Talmudic sages in Sukkah 52a say this refers to Messiah, son of Joseph. Right. This is a quote from Rashi. Right. In other words, it's not the Christians who pick this verse out and say this belongs to Messiah. It's specifically the Jewish people. That's right. Um, uh, so I think that I think that that should be. I think that's beyond fascinating to me because if there was ever a verse where I would feel like the sages would want to try to pretend like that can't possibly be talking about Messiah, this would be the verse because every Christian since I don't know how long that's right. has been grabbing all of this one. Yeah, you're exactly right. And in, in that same commentary, upon the death of Mashiach ben Yosef, God will seek to avenge his death by destroying all the nations who will seek to lay siege to the holy city of Jerusalem. So, what they've done in their commentary is say, when he comes, he will die. He will die, and that will turn into salvation. Right. And when he comes, God will get upset because they kill him. Well, this phrase, this here is, is um, it says the Jewish, finishing the paragraph right here, yeah. the Jewish people understanding the that the death, I'm quoting from the Art Scroll commentary. That's right. The Jewish people, understanding that the death of their leader, this is talking about Mashiach ben Yosef, was due to their sins, will be inspired to truly repent and will pray to God who will answer their prayers graciously. I got chills. Holy cow, yeah. And, and there's another phrase just like that on the next page, I think. It's astonishing. All right, so here's, here's where I'm going. Let's, let's look at the next thing. What happens? On that day... The morning in Jerusalem will be as great as the morning of Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shimeites by itself and their wives by themselves and all the families that are left each by itself and their wives by themselves <clears throat> now that's awkward to read mm -hmm. just a little bit and it appears that the wives are going to be mourning by themselves I get that I get that everybody's wives will be mourning by themselves well that's kind of significant though well <clears throat> hang on now what I, what I want us to look at is, let's just paint the picture real quick and make sure we're all on the same sheet of music. Evidently, Messiah comes. I may be wrong, but it appears that Messiah comes, and they look at him and go, holy crap. 
in a manner of speaking. And they begin to mourn. It says at the very beginning, in verse 11, on that day the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo, which I had no idea what was about. We'll get to that in a second. The land shall mourn. That means it doesn't mean the dirt. The whole place. Everybody will mourn. But Zechariah goes out of his way to name the house of David, the house of Nathan, the house of Levi, and the house of Shemek. I want us to discuss why these four guys. What's the deal? What do all four of them have in common? Because the commentators, and I've got several of them, went all over the place. Mm -hmm. So, if you got some thoughts, give them to me. I give you three minutes to give me what you got, and I'll tell you what I think. What do you got? What do you think? Yes. First thing that says that to me is that there are categories. Okay. David is king. King. Got it. Um, Nathan is the prophet. Good. Nathan the prophet. Um, Levi, Levi the, priest. Is the priest. Okay. Um, Shemai. Uh, um, now we got a little problem. Could be actually could be could be scholars. Uh, that I wouldn't be opposed okay. to that. I mean, okay. Zechariah's a prophet. You can pick out some guy who hasn't okay. been born yet. Got it. Got um, it. And then this is all the families who remain. So it kind of reminds me a little bit of. Um, on Pesach. Uh, yeah. Of, categories. Like, the... Categories. And also like um, when God's delineating like who can do what with the temple and all oh, that yeah, stuff. Oh yeah, we just like, went through that. Yeah. You okay? You got the priest. You got Aaron the high priest. Then you got the the priesthood. Kohanim, and then you got the Levites. And then within the, the Levites, people. we got all these little families. Yeah, and then you, got you get to carry this, yeah, like, you slept that. Right, so okay. it seems to be almost like, it's a, it's a manner of saying that everyone will grieve. Yeah. It will touch them all. Yeah. But it will it will almost like, but it's like it's going to touch them all in the right way. It's, they're all like broken down in like their divine categories. Yeah, I like it. That's good. That's good. What else? Any ideas? Yeah, that, was that was pretty good. That was, that was pretty good. You like categories, that? yeah. Categories. All right. So what I was uh, what I was looking for was first, what's this morning for Hadad Ramon in the Plain of Megiddo? Mm -hmm. Two examples. Uh, the one I think is is probably the one. There's one. Uh, uh, Rashi says could be their morning for Ahab, king of Israel, who was killed there. Ahab? Ahab was like a definitely, dirt bag. Definitely not. I don't mean to be, you know, no Lashon Hurrah, but... No, who was the guy I was thinking of then? It starts with an A. Is it Ahaz? Well, Ahab, Ahab was a dirt bag, but Ahab was a um, fairly powerful king. He was powerful, but still, I mean, he wasn't following after the Lord. No, no. But there was another king that was killed there in his chariot, and it's in First Chronicles. It was Josiah. Oh. Mm. And he was the king that started at eight years old. Yeah. And he, he was like, yeah, nailed it. he was top shelf after the Lord the whole way. And he's the one that are cutting down the Asherah poles and all of that. This is a great king. That's Jordan, where he died. The high place. Yes. Etc. That's where he died. And they mourned for him there. So now, now let's get it in context. Okay. If, go ahead. I was going to say, isn't the Valley of Megiddo 
also uh, important regarding in a future battle. Yeah, yes. that's well, where Gog and Magog. That's not Gog and Magog. It's Gog <laughs> and Magog. That's where they're going to fight, and that's talked about later. Yeah, it's not Armageddon. It's Har Megiddo. Right. It's in the I Valley have, of Megiddo. Right. I have been there. Napoleon is famous for having quoted and saying all the armies of the world could fight here, and he's right. And he's right. Because it's the Because they will. Yeah. It's, well, that's true, but it's the most bizarre layout. Normally when you have a valley, um, the mountains come down into almost like a like a trench. Mm -hmm. like a, it's very pointy and steep. And almost um, unusable. And almost unusable. Whereas this one, the hills um, are, act almost like walls. Yeah. And, the, and it goes straight down, and then it just levels. I mean, yep. it's... It's one of the greenest places in Israel because you yeah. have the water that can run down, and then you've got. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's it's a natural battlefield. It's rather awe-inspiring. It really is. Yeah. So so yeah, so now we've we've got a place. You get some layers here. That yes, right. So we got a place that was, and will be right, and we've got a righteous catch. This now we've got a place where where people mourned for a righteous king. Now, so not what only, is it? What is it that David, Nathan, Levi, and Shammai have in common? Well, David, we've, we've got. He's the king that was told he would have what? Let me build you a house. What was everlasting uh, dynasty? He would have a dynasty. God would build a house or dynasty for him. With whom does that dynasty rest? Mashiach. Mashiach. Let's move to the next guy. Nathan. Nathan was definitely a prophet. What was Nathan involved with in, in David's life? What happened near the end of David's life that Nathan helped make right? King Solomon. The Nate Solomon king. Yeah. Helped. We've got another son that's claiming to be the king, and why didn't that guy become king? Because Nathan stepped in with Bathsheba and said, Hey. He helped David do what he wanted to do. Precisely. So now we got Nathan. And what did Nathan really do? He put the right king on the throne. Let's review. Yep, that's a... Right? I'm getting way, it. It gets way, better. It gets better. I know. There's <laughs> something I want to add once you finish where you're All going. Right. So we've got first a place where a righteous king died. We've got the king to whom was promised the lineage of Messiah. We've got the prophet who helped to make sure that the lineage was established. And even the sages say, like Solomon's glory was the glory of Israel. Fourteen generations, fourteen generations, the rise, the fall, from Solomon to, you know, from Abraham to David, you know, and so forth. So, big references to Messiah. The third guy is Levi. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, everlasting priesthood. Yeah. Yeah. So, Messiah is actually not just king, but is actually an intercessor for the people of God. And 
he is not only the righteous and right king, but the priests, unlike in the Hasmonean era, which was alluded to in the first oracle, the Levites actually get to do their job properly when they are provided for by a righteous king. Because mm-hmm. the righteous king makes sure that they get to do what they're supposed to be doing. And then finally, Shemek. There's two Shemekers. One of them is uh, just another guy. He's, he's, I think he's a priest. Might be a priest. I can't remember. But he's some schmo. But one of them was one of David's mighty men. And he's mentioned in the scripture for one very big point. You know what it was? What was special about Shema? He was one of the very few. He had 30 mighty men. He was one of the few that specifically stood up and did not accept the fact that Adonijah was going to be the next king. Hmm. He stood specifically against the false king and stood up and fought for the true and righteous king of Israel. Hmm. Now, you know what, guys? But it seems to me, and that's all in the same time period. Mm -hmm. David, Nathan... Levi's ancestors, all the priests that were around at that time and, and whatnot, and Shemai, all of them are dealing with who is the true king of Israel? Who is the rightful heir to the throne of David? That's what we're talking about right now? That's pretty cool. Seems pretty good. And interestingly enough... In a place that has mourned. Right. The death of a righteous king. The death of the righteous king. It's interesting, too, because um, as I'm looking at Hebrew in the art scroll version they have it on each side, um, Shimei, Shimei, um, is a is the only one that's missing a very important word here. Um, all of the other families, the family of the house of David. Oh, yes, that's right. I noticed that. No David, house. The family of the house of Levi. So when you take out the word house, normally the way it translates is um, uh, in Hebrew, Mishpachat is family. So Mishpachat Beit Levi is the family of the house of Levi. Um, and then you get Mishpachat Beit David, the family of the house of David. Now listen to the Hebrew, and I don't know if you can hear the subtle difference here. Mishpachat Hashemai. What's missing there is the Beit, the house. What's also added is the Ha, which is odd, because... Mm-hmm. The word Shemai um, has to do with listening. Um, it's almost like it's the family of the listeners, or 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 the ones who listen to me, or something, or the, something my listeners, something to that effect. Um, is is almost the way it's like it's it's its name, but it also is has its own meaning, which is intriguing in light of the way that you're just painting this picture of all of these people. Because Le- Levi does the same thing too. We have with the golden calf, he's the only one. That's, that sticks with Moses. All right. the rest of the people right. of Israel are wonky. Right. Moses says, who, who will go with me? And they, they all join him. Sticks with who? God's anointed. God's, God's anointed. anointed. Yeah. His Redeemer. That's cool. What do you think? Does that work? I like, I like that. 
The uh, the sages were all over the place with that one. Hmm. But that's I, I searched for three days for something that all of them had in common. And I think it worked. You only gave us three minutes? <laughs> you could have kept the three days just to yourself. Just so that you had opportunity to share what you had found during your three days. Yeah. All right. There will be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. This, this is extraordinary that, uh, that there would be such a thing. Zechariah prophetically describes, I'm reading from the Art Scroll Commentary, events of messianic times and foretells of a spring that will flow from Jerusalem. This is Radak, same guy as last week. God will cleanse the people of their sins. Targum Yonatan, Rashi, Mahari Kara, and Arbarbanel say that. That's amazing. I mean, it, it says it's for cleansing. It says it's for purification. And um, the prophet is describing the grief that will be expressed for the loss of Mashiach ben Yosef as it gets into the, uh, the next verse here after that. So what do you think? I mean, are you reminded of Ezekiel 38, 39? Mm-hmm. With the water flowing out from the, yeah. from the temple the and it's going down yeah. the steps and on, all right? And then when it, I guess when it hits the sea, it becomes fresh water. Under the Dead Sea. Yeah. Of this course, uh, it's always tied to Sukkot, too. Yeah. The water exactly. offering. Right. Well, so, and Sukkot, right. the whole dwelling thing, right? I mean, with Messiah with us, or God with us. Yeah. And the cool living water thing. That yeah, did. yeah, yeah. And the pouring it out. And then the commentary, again, here ties it, this is very well-timed for our Torah portion this week, um, the cleansing, la... Chatat, which is sin, but yeah, but it's but it is for sin is one way to translate that. But chatat sometimes has an awkward um, double meaning, and okay. they cite this. This is referring to the purification of one who had become contaminated by touching a corpse and must be sprinkled with a mixture of spring water and the ashes of a red heifer. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's intriguing because uh, if you think about it from that perspective. Um, that's even it's even more like to some of the points you're making here. It's like about living water. It's also water that cleanses you from death. Death. Um, reading in the midrash this week, they 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 have one some pagan comes and critiques the one of the rabbis. It's like this is so dumb. Like why do you even do this? And and the and the rabbi essentially kind of argues back. It's like this is some pretty intense spiritual stuff that you know nothing about. Basically, right. is the yeah. point. Don't don't even ask. So, um, so it's like the, the death is more than just it's not like you're washing off something, some dirt. It's more the idea that there's a spiritual cleansing. That's associated right, exactly with that. right. Um, for purification, it will happen in that day. The word of Adonai, uh, Master Luther said, "I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they will not be mentioned again." It's actually a, a Torah command that we not speak the names of foreign gods. So. We're actually going to step up and, and do it right at this point. And that's, that's where it's talking about Messiah uh, Mashiach ben Yosef uh, that they're, they're grieving over. And that, that grief and mourning will, expressed, will be expressed in that they won't even talk about it. So. It also goes into Hosea, who also quotes that 
that concept all over. Remove the names of the Baalim right. from their mouth. Right, exactly right. Right. So it's good, good, good stuff. Good. Yeah, uh, the morning part of, of like morning specifically for the king, you know, the one whom they pierced. I think that's yeah. that goes back to like some of our original discussion about our like Mashiach and everything because I feel like if when you when you talk about Hashem, things are very high level, and that is the thing that I feel like people miss the most is just. A, having a, a connection to something that you could never really experience, that right. you can't see, that you can't feel, you can't touch. But then the minute you bring it down into like someone that actually died on your behalf, if, if someone were to describe that a god, yeah, it that just changes the game completely. And it does, I mean, it definitely did for me, spur you on to repentance. Amen. Because just to think that someone that never really even met you or, or, you know, that would have that much love for you is just incredible. And one who was righteous. Right, exactly, right. who didn't deserve that at all. And so it's just, uh, the, the whole morning piece to it is just, I think, enhanced by the personal aspect of Mashiach. Yeah, and his sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But the uh, Barbanel explains that they will mourn the death of the Messiah, son of Joseph, as if he were a member of their family because mm. they've got like you said right that that closeness that relationship because it's it's more real yeah man and that's I feel like that's kind of like our mission you know is re reigniting and you know there's a couple guys out there that are, are doing this one one guy in particular um, I'm trying to Rabbi Alero I think is his name he Aloro, is like Aloro, Aloro, yeah. yeah. He's like seriously he going is, before. He's really hard to understand on, on YouTube. He's a very hard to understand, yeah. But he's like literally going to like high areas of, of Israel, trying to like remind everybody, like, look, they, I, I know what you, you're hearing what you about think? Christians and everything oh, yeah. like that. He's but like, the student of Ginsburg's that yeah. Um, yeah. believes in Mashiach. He wants to put him on trial again. Yeah, well, yeah, he oh, wants yeah. to uh, perform a pidyon haven exactly. for two million dollars. And he, he takes 50 lessons to explain why $2 million. And so, yeah, and I think that he's, you know, for a number of years been in conversation oh, with yeah. Ginsburg because he is, Ginsburg is actually one of the most um, uh, highly esteemed well scholars in all of the land in this generation. And it's, um, so he would be, the guy to talk to. Yeah, if this happens, it'd be incredible. Well, right, because because this guy, I mean, he he's doing exactly what we're kind of talking. I mean, the the whole reason why we're here, right? Like every the, a lot of our earlier discussions were just about how we need to re re frame rebrand Yeshua. Yes, Ariel Cohen Alora. Yeah, yeah, and and he's he's totally doing that in Israel, like writing all kinds of stuff to be like, look, you gotta re relook at Yeshua because like, you th everything you you think about him is not what you really what he's really about, you know, like you you read the Apostolic Scriptures from like our perspective, from the perspective of Jewish tradition and everything, because he's like, from my what I understand, full Orthodox still, like oh, still yeah, maintains yeah. Oh, all yeah. the Holocaust and everything, and yeah. not only that, but he's Cohen. Oh yeah. Right, I didn't think of that. Right. But I just think Cohen. Right, Laura. yeah, exactly. But I just think I think that's so it's such a cool thing because, you know, that 
that it needs to be re re brought back to this fact that you're mentioning that like this is his people. Yeah. They, they of yeah. course they're going to be <laughs> like right now when they, when they don't think of him as part of his people, uh, as part of their people, then right. it makes At sense all. like their reaction. But well, like we're we're going to get into some of these things here where. I mean, it. They. I mean, did you, did you read all these today, this week? I mean, they're, they're talking about Christians, talking about I didn't read all Muslims yeah. and all yeah. that. I mean, it's it's well, astonishing. Well, one of the neat things about Aloro that he's been able to accomplish um, is that, being that he's observant, he has to attend, you know, an observant shul where they haven't ostracized and uh, castrated and, and exiled the guy right. or, or stoned him because, okay, you're crazy. What's, what's going on? None of this has happened. So the way he's been able to introduce these concepts widely through Gematria because he's, you yes. know, he's huge into Gematria just like his teacher Ginsburg, um, it's it's gotten the people that he you know his own community to realize okay we're not exactly sure what to do with this it's there in our scriptures and we see that we're gonna give you a bye yeah we're not gonna toss you exactly exactly so it's there's there's an it's there's enough substantial evidence within the body of Jewish canon as it were Mm -hmm. um, to for them to say, okay, well, I'll listen to the next thing you have to say as yeah. well. Yeah, which praise God is, is is super. That's huge. It is huge. It is huge. Listen to uh, uh, we're we're talking about you know thirteen three through six kind of thing. Zechariah foretells that in messianic times, God will destroy all forms of idolatry that have been worshipped by the Gentiles through the ages. That's a barbanel. Utterly so, that even their names will be forgotten, Malbim says. Included in this prophecy is the removal of the Christian shrines of Jerusalem and the idolaters of India, China, and Japan, who I know are really on top shelf when it comes to idolatry. You know, I, 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 could, I really could do without all the Christian shrines. I'm Jerusalem. with you, man. I'm with you. <laughs> it, I am with you. Because, I mean, Christianity, from what I saw, and I saw, I mean, you would know better, that we, we saw that Jerusalem documentary, and it was basically from the perspective of the three major religions right. that dwell in Jerusalem. Right. And the Christian the, side the, one is chick for each one? super Catholic, yeah. like super crazy, like shrine Catholic Top kind of show. stuff. Yeah. Every single church that the documentary went through was like, like you would, you would think that it was some really kooky cult with like <laughs> very elaborate. Oh yeah, garbs. the fires burning. Yeah, like all kinds of weird fires. It, it actually appeared a lot more weird than like Islam, actually, which is really <laughs> funny. But I, I mean, yeah. So I totally can understand that from yeah. seeing the documentary. Well, and that's the sad part. Because you're looking like, at it from from the Jewish eyes. Well, yeah. I feel like it makes the sad part to me is I feel like that's one reason why at this point Judaism, at least in Israel is so disinterested in anything remotely resembling even associated with Christianity because mm-hmm. it's like those people are pagans like yeah, I don't the, want anything to do the, with that the representation of Christianity in the land Not seems good. to be pretty poor Oof, yeah that's mentioned right. the among their holy sites I mean the Christian holy sites they're it's like 
the tomb of the holy sepulcher and yeah. stuff like that and you've got people yeah praying their hands on a rock in all this and then all this like ornate gold stuff everywhere yeah. it just looks so idolatrous. catholic and idolatrous. so idolatrous something uh, just to look at a different perspective excluding christianity because they don't have the best history with the jewish people but <laughs> um I, I find it interesting that they specifically by the way mentioned the um like the religions of like china and, and japan because yeah. you don't really hear about those being super against israel in general like, you don't hear about it maybe they are right but, but idolatrous like, so there's that but like you, you i could think of you know other religions they could name specifically rather than those although those are if you think about modern religions it's just, which is interesting, almost uncanny, because I mean the, the sages, the guys are saying this is a while back. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're just stepping out of kind of normal idolatry when they're making these comments. Um, modern religions, the Asian ones, are some of the only ones that are still truly idolatrous. Yeah. yeah. There are very few religions today that have images that people worship yeah. or you know yeah, things like true. that. Yeah. You're good. It's it, it's it's the text. I was waiting for this. I, I gotta I gotta run. Now? Yeah, sorry. The girls are just... They're, they're, it's very tough for them. And Morgan needs to stay in bed. And she's been, she's been having a tough time. This was we appreciate really your delicious. Thank That's you good. so much. I hope everyone can come on uh, tomorrow night. Oh, tomorrow night. Yes, I totally want to. You will? I think so. Good. We need your so. house, right? I will. Yeah, 8 o'clock. Yeah. I will do my best. If I'm able to make it the earliest, I will be there at like 11 that's fine. You come, He's going to be late apparently until one thirty. So, yeah. How, yeah. how late have you been there? It's modern. Midnight's modern. Yeah, midnight's modern time. It's like it's usually the minimum for this. And the next day is a pretty early morning. So yeah. I, to, I thought it would be good. I'm going to try to make it. the hay around that. I'm going to try to make it. That's fine. That's fine. You guys do what you can. I, I, yeah. think I, I think I can make the brisk, but the earliest I would be able to get to the don't, start yeah, would be like the left. Do don't worry about it, man. Whatever whatever you can do. Thank yeah, you so much. That wine is absolutely delicious. I love that dreaming tree one. Thank you. Thank well, you. I picked that one deliberately because that's what I'm doing now about my grandson. I appreciate <laughs> it. It's a dream. Much. It's very, I'm excited. It's going to be a really good time. Yeah. Hey, I didn't get that email you promised me yet with a picture of the rabbi. Ah, yes. What handgun he's going to be carrying. <laughs> you know, the whole day. Uh, yeah, yeah. I will let you know. I'll send that to you. Yes. Yes. Go. Okay. Thank you. Are, are we carrying handguns at the bridge? Well, he said that. Uh, I, I just assumed the rabbi would be getting off the plane and in the car. Why would he go to. I mean, he's leaving the same day. So why would he check a bag? Then you got to think about it. He needs. The moil needs a tool to perform mm-hmm. the circumcision. Can I put that in a which is not a staple gun, it is a knife. Got to check a bag. Maybe a small bag, but he's got to check the bag. Just like a handgun. Yeah, you should really should check. Could have just mailed it ahead of time. Or something. I would have thought. Yeah, why did, Why would you not did, FedEx? Did you hear about? Yeah, yeah. just mail it and you know, like guarantee overnight it or FedEx. something. Yeah. FedEx guaranteed overnight, ten thirty. Where's uh, Where's my tool? <laughs> I just go to ten thirty. Might be too late for this one. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah speaking of sharp implements, the uh, the next verse. Which verse do you want? Verse 7. Yeah, I was going to go. 7 to 9 ends this passage. And then we all see, as as Brock saw, you know, some kind of break here when 14 starts. Maybe it was a different day, different piece of indigested beef. 
whatever it may be. So let's finish out to, seven through nine. If you look at verse seven um, in in the apostolic scriptures, and I'm trying to remember exactly where it is. I think it's in Mark, but it might be in Matthew or Luke. But they reference this verse. Very verse. Strike um, the shepherd and let the strike the disperse. shepherd and let the flock disperse. And the the point that they're getting at is basically when the leader's gone. The, the sheep are terrified, they just go right into their own thing. Exactly. Which is exactly what happens. Yeshua is captured, he's, he's um, abducted, as it were, by the Roman uh, horde, and uh, all his disciples scatter. And the only ones who stick with him, um, actually, here it is, uh, it's Mark chapter 14, uh, 14, verse 27. Yeshua actually quotes this. Yeshua said to them, You will all fall away because it is written. I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. Um, and so, of course, when he's um, ki- uh, captured, um, everyone except for Peter and John all panic. Peter ends up kind of panicking later, um, and the, the point is that this verse is filled. But it's interesting because um, the it is intriguing because this passage, again, does sound kind of weird, because actually the sages get kind of confused on this one, because arouse yourself against my shepherd and against the man who is my colleague. Um, right. It's an it, odd reference because it's it, like, why is God attacking his, his friend? It's almost like, now if we look back and we recognize the sins have been taken care of versus before. Mm. We've got the fountain. We've, we've got the uh, we've got the messianic reference with David and Nathan and all of that, and all it's all appears to be done, and now we get almost as if after the sin was taken care of by the righteous one, now we get the striking of the shepherd and this scattering. Um, I like your reference in Mark, but I think a better one would be in John sixteen thirty-two, right before the high priestly prayer that he gives in seventeen. Behold, the hour is coming; indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. So, uh, he, he, he uses it in uh, John 10 as well. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Mm-hmm. So, he's, he's definitely thinking, evidently, about Zechariah because this is astonishing. Yeah, it seems... Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, it seems like, um, as we study the Apostolic Scriptures more, a lot of the time that they're quoting or making a particularly poignant illusion, they're citing from a prophet right. or the Psalms. Yeah. But here, here, it doesn't. it's not apparent. There may it's be cross-references in a study Bible, but it's not apparent they're quoting anything. And oh. yet, the scattering of sheep and, the shepherd. and, and leaving the shepherd alone kind of thing, <laughs> right. that's this. Right. So, In a more broad sense, you know, you talk about the time when Yeshua was taking the disciples scattered, but then, you, I guess, I don't know if this is off-base or not, but like, now, now Yeshua's gone, and right. Christianity has devolved into all these different denominations. Oh, that's a good point. You could kind of Almost like it, they've been scattered. Like, yeah, they've, and they've each done what is right in their own eyes, which is what a sheep will do when yeah. it's not... Without a shepherd. Without a That's good. 
the um, to the you know, same same deal here. Uh, the commentators say the prophet foretells that many wars will break out among the nations of the world during the era of Mashiach ben Yosef. So again, they're they're associating this shepherd being stricken, um, the flock being scattered, with this Messiah ben Joseph figure, and it's his era. And I think we've got a pretty good argument to say that the Messiah ben Yosef era was then. Yeah. I, I think I think there's so much to be able to do that. The uh, it's interesting. A Barbanel suggests that my the my shepherd reference is referring to Muhammad, and the my colleague is referring to Yeshu, which would be Yeshua, for their followers refer to them in this manner. Zechariah is telling the downfall of the Arabs and the Christians who were their followers. When you say uh, Messiah ben Joseph was then, do you mean then when Yeshua was? Alive? I, I mean, yeah, back in the in the era of not, Yeshua. Not not like since from now from not from you know well then to whenever we can Yeshua say returns. this is the era of Mashiach. I think that that is something. And Judaism sees that there is this time, so to speak, of Mashiach. Where Mashiach's not necessarily here, right? But there's like this this air of Mashiach. Yeah, he's in the air, so to speak. I, I think more. Spe- I agree with that, but more specifically, I would say the era of Mashiach ben Yosef, who is ultimately killed, was then. Could that era continue to today? I wouldn't have a problem with that, but the era, his era, tends to end when he dies. Um, but at one point I believe the sages say that he's resurrected by by Mashiach ben David which kind of works out handy if he happens to be both guys (laughs) (laughs) well I guess what I was thinking about it is you know before you know Yeshua came you didn't have like Christianity and and it has, has had such Christianity has had such a huge effect on the last 2000 years Mm-hmm. In, in terms of, of cultures and, and, and wars that have been fought and, and so forth. And, and I would agree with the Christians that Christianity did begin at the cross. Right, <laughs> so you, you, just, you, just, you, just, you just said that, uh, you just read something about how there's going to be a lot of wars and, and so forth yeah. in, in this That's era. what they said. The prophet tells that many wars will break out among the nations of the world during the era of Mashiach ben Yosef. I guess to me it's kind of I, I, I don't know I, I'd have to go back and count but I feel like there's been a lot of wars in the past 2,000 years like, agreed no, um, no question maybe about more it. than there was before yeah. and, and to your point I, I would, that's why I would be willing to say you know his era started with right. him I, I think there's an argument for that is I, I agree now this is the passage by the way in, in 13.7-9 that talks about two uh, two thirds mm-hmm. of Israel will perish. Well, this two thirds, we don't know of who. It, well, that's in their version. Uh, if I read that in, uh, where are we in fourteen, uh, thirteen, eight, eight, seven? Uh, in the whole land, declares the Lord, two thirds shall be cut off and perish. This is in the whole land, and one third shall be left alive. I will put this third. 
presumably the last third, the part that's alive, into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. This brings to mind the 144,000 you alluded to in Revelation, at least for me. Chapter 7. Yeah. Could be. It could be. Um, it also ref, um, kind of brings to mind uh, Paul in Revelation in uh, Romans chapter 11, where he says, you know, and uh, you know, there, there, there will be all kinds of calamity and problems, um, but all Israel will be saved, mm-hmm. implying that the ones that are left on the planet that have survived will make it. This, uh, this also speaks to Daniel chapter 12, um, where you know there is uh, what is known as the time of Jacob's trouble, um, uh, back in the nine, and uh, the fact that there is, after the prince is cut off, as it says, um, there is just a, a really difficult time for Jews, which most commentators and, and sages would, would put at the Holocaust. Yeah, um, but I don't think it's happened yet. I think it's it's going to be on the on the back end, right yeah. before Messiah comes. And this is where the Left Behind series comes in, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, all hell will break loose, but we won't be here because Christians get evacuated. That's the rapture, <laughs> right? Well, we would, <laughs> right? I guess we get left behind. Yeah, we get. Yeah, I think it's um, the, the humor. More time to repent. I was laughing about the uh, the funny part about this is that it doesn't specifically say two thirds of what a parish, right? Um, so um, some more time to keep some more uh, Mitsudot says that the two thirds of the entire world population will perish. The two thirds yeah. that will perish are the Edomites and Ishmaelites, or Christians and Muslims. And the third that will survive are the Israelites. That's right. So I thought that was really. I, I had to say I really chuckled at that because of course. Um, uh, Christians always look at this passage and go, "Those Jews, Jews two thirds can get wiped out. Bam. Thankfully, God will save the third because He's merciful." That's but, right. And the Jews are going, "Those poor Christians." Those are the Christians. <laughs> not the not getting saved. They're all getting wiped out. Now, I liked Rachel Lakish in this. He says this verse means that only one third of the Jewish nation will survive these days. Rav Yochanan disagrees and interprets that all the Jewish people will survive. I believe Rachel Lakish had it right. Although Revelation talks about a lot of people dying uh, around the world. Inordinate so the two-third of number is, of the global population is totally possible. I agree. And yeah, as if we add the... People die in Revelation. Yeah, if we add the... the apostolic scriptures to this mix, I think we get a lot more clarity, which is, you know, the, the value there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's two-thirds of Israel or two-thirds of the population of the planet or both. <laughs> a lot of people are dying and I, I think we need the other scriptures, Ezekiel, Daniel, Joel, to tell us why they're dying and what's happening. And that's something that I think, unfortunately, is sometimes gets muddled in this passage. Well, in Zechariah, he, I don't think he even discusses why. Right. He doesn't, or who's doing it. Because to him, that's just it's a stepping stone so to speak, not to ignore that, not to trivialize it, because that's yeah. not his intent. But in verse nine, he says, "I will bring that third, the remaining third, into fire and purify it as one purified silver, and I will refine it as one refines gold. It will call out in my name, and I will answer it. 
I have said, it is my people. And it will say, Hashem is my God. Amen. So the point, and that's the thing about the end of Zechariah, that, as I was saying at the beginning, it's this odd blend of everything's great, we're winning, we're getting wiped out, <laughs> we're winning again. Yeah, we love you know? God and He loves us. But the yeah. point is, it's all about bringing the people back to God. Yeah. That all of the we've suffering already seen that the sin and purification has happened. And now you've got the people actually turning to God, whomever they are, uh, in order to be calling out to God and, and being His people. It's interesting, you know, the way you put it just now about how we're on these highs and we're on these lows, <laughs> we're on these highs, we're on these lows. It sounds to me kind of like how, you know, life is. Like, yeah. you go on these super highs and then all of a sudden you're <laughs> lower than you thought you could ever be. And, and you're just... Because we're not perfect. Yeah. And anyway, yeah. I, just, I think that's, that's, that's kind of cool that yeah. Zachariah ten chose to write that way or was forced to write that way. All right. Uh, we'll close with... Uh, Chapter 14, very quickly. Um, There's this weird deal about light. There's an earthquake. We get the uh, the idea in verse 4. His feet, Messiah, and yet Hashem. Uh, Verse 3, Hashem will go out and wage war with the nations. As he waged war on the day of the battle, his feet, this is Hashem's feet, will um, stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will split open at its middle, east to west, forming a very wide valley. Half of the mountain will move to the north, half to the south. It's going to be an earthquake to do that. And there evidently was a great earthquake in the days of Uzziah. So, same kind of thing. And then we get this weird light. Verse 6, it'll be on that day the light will not be very bright nor very dim. It will be a unique day. It will be known as Hashem's day, neither day nor light, nor night. But it will happen toward evening time, and there will be light. It shall be on that day, spring will flow from the water, and then you get the water out of the temple. Um, But it appears to be that the, the heavens will change such that the light is different. Well, that's very akin to what Joel talks about with the, what is it, the moon turns blood red, the, mm-hmm. the sun sackcloth mm-hmm. dark or something like that. And we see the same thing in Revelation, Second yeah. uh, Thessalonians and so forth. And I guess this over, overturns the whole concept of the Christian, the Lord's Day. Well, the Lord's Day, Hashem's Day is spoken about in verse 7, um, but it's nothing like they teach. Exactly. You bet. Exactly. Um, just one quick thing I just wanted to bring up Rambam uh, says alternatively the holy ones are God's prophets this is where the holy ones come Um, in verse uh, 6 Hashem my God will come all of his holy ones will be with you it will be on that day that the light will not be very dim but he comes with his holy ones his hagias is the way Revelation puts it uh, when uh, the Lord comes with his holy ones. I, there's no way to tell, as far as I'm able to discern so far, after seven years of study. Are those holy ones us, or are they angels? Both in Zechariah or and in Revelation, resurrected Tzadikim, they're holy ones. So we also get the reference in uh, the end of Deuteronomy, talking about um, 
he comes with his fiery angels. Right, right. And then we also have the reference in Ob- Obadiah. That's the the saviors will ascend Mount Zion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Judge Esau's and Judge Esau's mountain. Yeah, but who are they? Right. So um, Rambam says these holy ones are God's prophets. All the promises that God assured his nation through his prophets will now be fulfilled. So he comes with his prophets. I think that's a little weak, but hey, you know. Hey, I wouldn't want to be making fun of those prophets. They already tried to do that. That bear's going to eat them. Now, um, I, I love verse, uh, the commentary here. This is, I didn't notice this is kind of cool. Um, in talking about the uh, verse 3, Hashem will go out and wage war with those nations as he waged war on the day of battle. Um, and there are two words here um, uh, for uh, conflict in the Hebrew. Uh, one word is milchama, which is the modern word used for war. So when you see Israel's fighting Hamas, in Hebrew they're talking about the, the milchama. Right. Um, it's also a derivative of malach. Mm, okay, there you go. Same short. Um, but this word here that's used is um, kerev, or is it kerev? Kerev. Karav, which has to do with closeness, I think is it's related like Corbino. to the same root. Karov is close. Um, and so Malbim, this is commentary here, Malbim differentiates between Karav and Milchama. Karav is a battle fought between two parties that are in close proximity to each other, i.e. wrestling. And Milchama, however, is fought from a distance, shooting arrows, etc. This battle will not be fought from a distance, but close by through God's miracles. Mm. That's cool. Oh, that's cool. Krav Maga, hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, God's going to go hand-to-hand with Israel's right. enemies. One, something I just was thinking about, I'm not sure. But anyway, um, last, like, he's talking about the earthquake and, and the Mount of Olives separating, one yeah. going north, one yeah. going south. And Make it a valley. Make it a valley, and then the light changing, the way the very lights change, like, have, have an effect on the earth and so forth. Yeah. But, and I could be wrong about this, but I think the last time God changed the very topography of the earth, it was also a similar Judgment Day-ish time, That's which right. was the, the flood. The flood, sure. So. The deluge. That's good. That's good. I like it. So verse 11, people will dwell in it, and there will be no more devastation, and Jerusalem will dwell in security. Uh, the sages say the prophet foretells that the Jewish people will permanently return to their holy city. Jerusalem will then be inhabited forever. Rondok says that. And as if, okay, now Messiah is the king there, and we've got a thousand years of rain, and then the Olam Haba, and it will never be destroyed. Its people will dwell there securely because the divine presence will then dwell among them. It is then that the Messiah will, will reveal himself to the people. Mm. As if he's been fighting with and for them, but they don't know who he is. Hmm. <laughs> the divine presence will be with them. Hmm, one more time, we get this allusion to uh, just a, a, a parallel between King Messiah and Hashem. So, And of course, if you've ever prayed the Elenu, um, the entire second paragraph is basically a summary of this chapter. That's right. And it ends with... And it's got direct quotes from it. Hashem will be one, and His, his name, name will be one, one. And yeah. on that day. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, and of course, if, you know, we get closer to the High Holy Days. This is all about all the nations keeping Sukkot, 
Um, right, no rain, Egypt, the whole deal. Yeah. yeah. The most important so. thing is, I love the end of the book, the very, very end, because it's it it says that the the bells of the horses will have written on them, holy to Hashem. Yeah. And one of the sages says, you know, that's just uh, uh, metaphor. It's like the, they're not going to really write on the bells. That's like the plates on the related to the priestly garments. Forehead plate, and it yeah. is, and it, they say, and they wear little bells. The other reference the whole, is also that the um, that the, the the pots would be sanctified, right. like the pots at the altar. The point being is that um, you're getting a glimpse here into similar to what um, Revelation ultimately says, which is there is no temple there, for God dwells among His people. In other words, That's good. finally, see that. You're we right. have been purified by Hashem to such degree that we no longer need the interface right. between God we, and we us. We don't need the physical um, distinction between regular day and in the temple day. Right. It's all because the same. It's all holy. It was not that, I mean, it's never that God is overthrowing his commandments or that he's changing his right. mind. Right. But the idea is that the circumstances have changed. You don't need it. Anymore. Right. That's um, good. And so it's that's that's, that's brilliant. I, I hadn't recognized that. Yeah, you know, it's almost like uh, if 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 um, as as a husband, I live in my home with my wife, and this is a very good thing. If I had moved in with her before we got married, this would not be a good thing. Right. So it's kind of the same thing. Circumstances have changed. God has changed the circumstances, and now we are able to dwell with Him, and everything is holy. There's nothing that's not holy. Yeah, that's so cool. And, uh, and the beauty of that intimacy with Hashem is just really powerful because that's the, what this whole oracle's been about. All this bad stuff happens. All these tragedies happen. Things keep getting worse. Things get better. They apparently, get worse again. Apparently worse, right. But then the, the ultimate goal at the end of the whole thing the is that all the people... Not part of them, not a, not a, not a minority. And not, not only a, in this one place. Not, not a remnant, but everybody that's left, is at least the, the people of God, is able to dwell, physically dwell in the presence of God. That's right. And that's astonishing. No more temple language, no more temple protocol, because we don't need that, because he's there. Well, be let us, in our days. Amen. Amen. From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> Let me pray for us, men. Good Father, we thank you for the word of God that you've entrusted to your people, that they have so faithfully transmitted and committed to us. Father, we, uh, we pray for your, your son's soon return as we will faithfully represent him uh, before your people. We look to uh, the example of these men that we've read of. We look to uh, the joy represented in David and uh, Nathan and Levi and Shammai. Father, these men who worked so diligently to ensure that your man was on the throne, that lamented that a righteous king had been killed. Father, we lament the fact that our righteous king has been killed. And we will stand and work to see him have his rightful place, that the uh, house of David may yet still stand. 
Father, we pray for his soon return, soon in our days. May it be in your will. And we thank you for this time. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, guys. <laughs>